remember it In Dublin in a rainstorm Sitting in the long grass in summer Keeping warm I remember it Every restless night Okay Welcome to the Compass Rogue podcast. Uh, I'm Alexandra Fox, and sitting beside me on the couch in my basement in Washington, D.C., at around midnight, just kidding, is uh, Christian Tomasco, my business partner. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the latest Compass Rogue podcast entitled Trauma. Ch- uh, or Trauma Rama. Trauma Rama. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. And um, I think this is going to be a podcast or a topic rather that's going to require multiple episodes. So I think that this is just the the beginning. Um, It's a pretty complex uh, issue. It's um, it's not as simple as uh, someone being a uh, a war veteran Mm -hmm. and coming home. Um, and having uh, flashbacks, etc. Et it's it's not a simple diagnosis. And in fact, there's a, a recent development in in the mental health world um, for, uh, I'm not really articulating this well because I am in fact pretty tired, but mm. complex post-traumatic stress disorder is, is kind of a new diagnosis and it's not an official diagnosis yet. It's not in the DSM mm-hmm. and yet people are um, defining it um, and diagnosing it and treating it. And mm-hmm. so it's, yeah. So this is the beginning of addressing trauma. Yeah, this is a a podcast episode that we've been talking about doing for a long, long time, since the very beginning. We had been planning on doing Mm -hmm. an episode um, uh, uh, entitled Trauma, or maybe this will be Trauma Part One, Uh, but it's... I think the what's what's so important, and I'll I'll let you kind of take the lead here because I know you have a, a a lot that you want to share tonight. But I think that um, trauma, as you've been saying, and I'll, again I'll let you elaborate here. But trauma is um, in many ways at the very root of mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. And is at the root of a, a, lo- a lot of diagnoses. Um, and so doing a podcast episode or two or three about the ways in which trauma impacts the human mind, the brain, behavior, um, is incredibly important for our listeners and our clients to to, to know and understand. Yeah, yeah. It's a a topic near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I myself um, have trauma, a history of trauma, and um, have learned to cope with it and continue to to grapple with the symptoms of it. Mm. Um, But um, I feel very confident in um, what I do with my clients uh, with regard to trauma um, because I, you know, obviously have training in trauma therapy, um, but I also have experienced it myself and um and have used interventions on myself and uh and and can really empathize with people um experiencing what it feels like to have it um in their bodies um 
So where do you think we should begin, Christian? Well, do you want to kind of piggyback on what I uh, just said a minute ago about uh, your, uh, trauma being at the root of mental illness? Yeah, I I would say that... Maybe we start there. 90 plus percent of the people that I um, see as clients, mm-hmm. um, they're, they come in with symptoms of something and they have anxiety or Mm -hmm. depressive symptoms or relationship issues Mm -hmm. um or you know you name it and um and generally uh what comes to the surface after a while Mm -hmm. uh, after we build rapport and are trying to become uh, very specific in in sort of identifying what um what's happening in their daily lives, you know, to, mm. to impair functioning, mm. uh, is generally trauma. It could be, uh, one event, two events, or it could be, um, a series of events over a long period of time, which is usually familial and developmental trauma, mm. um, in, you know, family of origin issues mm-hmm. and, um, sort of, yeah. So that, that, that's what I see a lot of what do you see? Do you, would you agree that like what percentage of people would you say that you see, um, have underlying trauma that 99.9% no question about it. Yeah. I mean, my, my clients, um, uh, are, uh, working on a number of, uh, uh, different struggles during their therapy in their therapeutic journeys, substance use and dependence and abuse, uh, anxiety disorders, right? Uh, depression, mm-hmm. um, um, family stress, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, significant stress uh, within the family system, stress at work, um, living under the weight of, of great expectations, um, uh, but also OCD, uh, 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 body dysmorphic disorder, um, um, and a variety of others that, you know, a variety of other diagnoses that we can trace back to a trauma or traumas that they've experienced um, uh, in their in their lives, mostly in childhood, but in, in some cases um, there were multiple traumas, right? Yeah. One or two in childhood, but then maybe one during their adolescent years, even in their early adult life. Um, and those traumas, I'd say, more often than not occurred within the family system. Yes. I think that's the common denominator that we see. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, traumas can occur in all in all different ways, in all different facets of life. But I, I, I think what I've seen with my clients is, is you know, the trauma um, that uh, occurred um, uh, during their their formative years within their family system or with and or within their community yeah. system. Yeah. Um, Bullying. Uh, that's a, that's a form of yeah. uh, trauma. Sure. Um, so community system. Oh yeah. But, but like violence in the community generally. Oh, I, Hey, you want to hear about an experience I had on Sunday? Sure. Yeah. That was really fun. Hopefully it wasn't, uh, hopefully it didn't get violent. You know what? I'm actually not going to tell the full story, but let me just say that when it was all over, um, I was like, wow, another fucking trauma. Yeah. I was being dramatic because it was a dramatic situation. Yeah. Um, but was this also, you causing someone else's trauma? Were you committing violence against someone else? I was about to. Oh, I was okay. sort of yeah. weighing the consequences of me driving into somebody because mm-hmm. this man was trying to get money from someone in the car with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, uh, 
and, and, and he blocked um, the car. Mm-hmm. We, we'd gone to brunch, we came out, this is Chinatown, and this man uh, sort of spit on the person that he was trying to get money from, mm-hmm. and um, or tried to, yeah. and then came around to the front of the car as I was trying to pull out, spit on the car, and then pulled out a knife mm-hmm. and stood there with a knife. Never a dull moment in downtown DC. Never a dull yeah. moment. And I was like, Mm. So having worked with returning citizens a lot, um, I, in, you know, in a community mental health setting and in various circumstances I found myself in in my life, I I didn't really have a strong reaction to it. Mm. I had a strong reaction to someone in the car that was trying to get out of the car to engage with the person that had the knife. And then we got out of there and I thought, you know, that could be traumatic to someone that hasn't already experienced trauma. But I felt like, you know what? Thank you, body. Thank you for my traumatic experiences because I'm not really phased by that kind of thing anymore. Um, I just, I honestly just kind of expect it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I expect it and I handle it well. Mm -hmm. And I said, I'm really thankful for the rage that I have within my body that can come out in a split second because I could very easily defend myself against someone that pulls a knife um and mm-hmm. i don't mean to sound dramatic um but that is uh, that is what our bodies do yeah. in response and i have various responses to to yeah. you know traumas or uh, mm-hmm. triggers or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. uh you know i i have everyone has right yeah. there's fight flight freeze fawn fawn is like people pleasing yeah. um <clears throat> And um, I, I myself have experienced uh, fight, definitely, uh, flight, 100%. Mm. Um, that's basically where I'm at in my life now, mm. is flight. I, I don't want to fight. I have no desire to fight no. at all. Zero. No arguments. Um, and I don't freeze necessarily, but I definitely get the fuck out of situations that I'm not interested in being mm. a part of. It's, it's a physical response that I have where I just am like gone fleeing um and I'm definitely not a people pleaser anymore Mm. yeah so anyway I I went off on a little tangent and I don't even know where we started but I was just reminded of of the community violence well you were describing a personal experience that happened because we were talking about like the environment can can, yeah so living in in Washington DC I've seen a lot of clients um that have experienced a lot of community violence. They've yeah. witnessed a lot of violence. They themselves have been, you know, victims of violence, yeah. um, uh, survivors of assaults and yeah. um, very human trafficking, um, women who have been uh, trafficked, uh, obviously, against their will. Mm. Um, and um, I've counseled women like that. Yeah. And men coming out of prison, women coming out of prison. It's a very traumatic environment. So, um, so yeah, community violence, um, familial violence, there's so many different ways that you can, um, you know, develop trauma. Yeah. And when you think of the, the kind of cumulative impact of trauma on, on the mind and the body, right, it can be very devastating. So, if you are someone who's growing up in a uh, in a community where they you're witnessing violence on a regular basis, and perhaps you're also the victim of violence on a regular basis, or people you are close to are victims of violence on a regular basis, um, and then you yourself are also being perhaps neglected in your home by your parents, by your loved ones, 
um, you know, th these multiple traumas, right, they kind of stack, uh, they stack upon each other. They have this sort of cumulative effect that damages one's, uh, uh, really every, every aspect of one's thought process. It, it adversely impacts the way one views the world, but also the way one views and treats themselves, right? Yeah. Um, um, and, you know, these traumas can manifest in all sorts of um, uh, behavioral dysfunction and uh, mental health struggles. And um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's something that I, I think, you know, we, when we talk about trauma, um, when I talk to my clients about, about trauma, um, um, we kind of talk about it much in the same way we talk about grief and loss. It's not something that you ever really get over. It's something that becomes a part of you. And so mm -hmm. from a therapeutic standpoint, the goal clinically is not to quote unquote, get over grief and loss or trauma. It's, it's the goal is to, uh, is to process it, to better understand it, come to terms with it and learn how to manage it most effectively through healthy coping mechanisms. Right. But, um, to also get to a point where you're able to function in a healthy way without your trauma adversely impacting your ability to achieve positive outcomes, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's incredibly difficult, you know, when when especially for people who have suffered multiple traumas. Right? It is very challenging. Um, and people often people <laughs> often talk about uh, ask me. Uh, in in therapy sessions, if if this is something that they can kind of eventually move past and never have to think about again, and the answer is no, right? No. Trauma like grief and loss becomes a part of you. And you know, it, this is hot take, weird mm. weird perspective maybe, but um, mm. trauma can be viewed uh, as a bit of a a blessing in a way because mm. it is um, how we have survived as a species yeah. um, because if we learn that something is dangerous yeah. and if we learn that um, we have to avoid certain circumstances or um, that certain things exist in the world that are threatening and that could harm us, mm -hmm. then we are going to obviously avoid those situations in the future as best we can. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know that something exists in the world that's harmful, how are you going to avoid it? You could be blindsided by something. So hopefully the, the traumas that, that people experience um, don't harm them so badly that they can't um, function uh, in everyday life. But that they. But that is take... often what occurs. It is right? often yeah. what, what occurs, but it is also, um, um, it, it can also act as a guide um, yeah. to, to guide you to take care of yourself better, um, um, to take care of yourself, period, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's, that's one of the many reasons why therapy is so important because someone who's been a victim of trauma who engages in the therapeutic process can work to process the trauma and better understand it. So they can use it, right. Uh, in, in, yeah, in some yeah, of those yeah, positive definitely. ways. Right? And, you know, when I'm talking about mm -hmm. uh, trauma, I'm really most often at this point in my um, in my career mm -hmm. and and personally talking about complex trauma, mm -hmm. which is. Uh, do you want to maybe do you want to maybe explain the difference for our listeners <sighs> between trauma and complex trauma? Can I explain the difference? Let me think. Well, let me let me say this: mm -hmm. if you're in. Um, a circumstance where it's not um, something isn't overtly physically harming you mm -hmm. 
it it can be complex mm -hmm. because it takes a lot of mental gymnastics to develop an understanding of mm -hmm. why you're being hurt, how you're being hurt, and mm -hmm. how to get yourself out of it. Mm -hmm. So um, I am personally obsessed uh, with sociopathy and um, narcissism and uh, psychopathy um, because there are people that mm -hmm. perpetrate things that it's not entirely clear that they're perpetrating them mm -hmm. a lot of covert stuff going on mm -hmm. and so i that is honestly what i primarily deal with with clients is mm -hmm. people getting into relationships with people that have traits um that are harmful that are not overtly mm -hmm. harmful mm -hmm. and i just had somebody yesterday say you know I just want to learn how to better advocate for myself because I feel like I um, am too focused on making sure that everybody uh, likes me and that mm. everything is um, peaceful and that everybody's happy. And I'm like, yeah, you got to get rid of that stuff, mm. you know. So at this point, the trauma that I see a lot of with people mm. is uh, relational. Um, some of it is uh, family of origin stuff, mm -hmm. but a lot of it is relational and a lot of it is people learning how to, first of all, recognize um, when someone is being abusive. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's super important, you yeah. know, like, and I don't say, well, that's abusive all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But um, only I, to me. But but sort of helping people, helping to illuminate the situation yeah. that people find themselves in and, and sort of uh, guiding them through how to um, set boundaries, yeah. how to self-advocate, yeah. how to um, take care of themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, there's a lot of over-explaining that, that people do. There's a, That's kind of a fawning response, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of... Um, uh, just difficulty saying no to things. It, I mean, it, it again. So the complex part is mm -hmm. that it is not um, it, that it's like a series of events mm -hmm. or uh, maybe a relationship yeah. that is that is causing trauma. Yeah. And it's complex because it's not tied to one specific event. Yeah. And so it takes. So it's a more long. of an ongoing circumstance. Yeah. Circumstance. It's like undoing a knot. A really, yeah. you know. Uh, intricately wound um, sort of tied knot. Sorry, yeah. I think I'm allergic to the candle. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and 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 it it takes time and energy, and it really um, <laughs> it can be unbelievably confusing, and you can feel like your world is upside down, yeah. and like you're in a hall of mirrors because uh, what you thought was reality is not reality. Yeah. And when you sort of let go of a CPTSD response and you start seeing reality for reality's sake and not yeah. idealizing situations yeah. or people, um, it can be really confusing. And, and there could be a grief attached to it, too. Yeah. So anyway. Um, I think oftentimes people um, who suffer, uh, I don't want to say often, but at least some of the time, if not a lot of the time, I think people who... Uh, particularly for people who are not engaged in the therapeutic experience, who are not engaged in therapy, they oftentimes don't know that they've suffered. Uh, they're suffering from a trauma. They don't realize that they've been a victim of a trauma. Um, they know that they've been through a deeply distressing 
experience, but they don't refer to it as trauma. They don't understand what a trauma is. And because of that, they don't, they're not able to make the connection between that deeply distressing experience and some behavioral dysfunction. Well, you want to hear something funny? Sure. Okay. So at some point in my career, when I was doing assessments for people, um, of course, mm -hmm. I, I had gone to school and got my degree and got my license. Um, I was uh, very well versed in, in a lot of um, mental health uh, disorders, um, you know, defined disorders. Mm -hmm. And uh, trauma was obviously something that I was aware of. Mm -hmm. But it was in the midst of doing other people's assessments that mm. I realized I had trauma because mm. I was looking at the symptoms and I was talking to people and Tr I was interesting. hearing their stories. And I was like, oh, like this very dim light bulb over my head started to very slowly kind of light up. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what I have. I see. So I have some intrusive thoughts and I have some flashbacks and I have, and I'm vigilant, so hyper vigilant mm. and, um, to, to sort of be a mental health practitioner sitting in an office mm. talking with people and like slowly realizing, yeah. Oh, I actually have that too. Yeah. Uh, was yeah. A little confusing. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, so even in the therapeutic community, I think. Yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a good point. Yeah, it's not just people who are outside of the therapeutic community or who are not engaged in therapy who struggle to identify and to come to terms with a trauma and yeah. um, are and and who struggle with you know kind of drawing a connection between that trauma and their struggle with mental health. Therapists themselves might not realize uh, that uh, what they. Um, experience the distressful experience that they had in their past uh, rose to the level of a trauma, right? Um, yeah, another. We we as mental health professionals can be in denial of our experiences and our struggles as well, right? We're human beings, and so we might have a, a, a more thorough understanding of how the mind and the body work, um, and we may have formal training in how to treat it. But that doesn't mean that we necessarily are adept at understanding uh, our own struggles sometimes, particularly as it relates to trauma, nor are we, nor are we necessarily uh, more effective at, at, at seeking out treatments uh, yeah. um, and engaging effectively to, to manage our, our traumas. Um, but maybe we can just to back up a, a sec, just, it might be helpful, I think, to our listeners um, if we maybe define trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I kind of said it earlier that trauma, I think is, defined as a, a deeply stressful experience, right? Um, and that, of course, it can encompass a wide array of distressful experiences, right? Ranging from very severe, you know, horrific experiences like rape or sexual assault or, you know, witnessing someone being killed, perhaps like uh, soldiers in a combat zone experience. Um, but not all traumas, and I think this is important to understand that, you know, um, the term trauma encompasses a wide array of distressful experiences that don't always rise to the level of something yeah. we would consider to be horrific. It could be, you know, uh, stress related to your relationship with your mother or your father. Maybe they weren't particularly nurturing or caring 
throughout your childhood. That constitutes, I think, a, a traumatic experience. Yeah, I'm really focused on narcissistic abuse mm-hmm. at, at this point because mm-hmm. that's what I see a lot of. Yeah. And so that, that can be, um, you know, it can present itself as uh, gaslighting. Mm-hmm. Uh, gaslighting is defined as um, someone uh, sort of uh, telling you to question your perception of something um, or, you know, you, you are perceiving something and something and someone is telling you, but that perception's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then you say, but that's not what I'm perceiving. And then they say there's mm-hmm. something wrong with you. Yeah. Right. That that's it's from, from that very yeah. famous movie, uh, long ago called Gaslight, yeah. um, which is very good. I recommend yeah. it. Um, but it, it's the story of a, a woman being uh, sort of made crazy slowly by her husband who mm-hmm. would uh, adjust the, the, uh, the gaslight in their mm. old home uh. and, and uh, pretend that he wasn't doing it and then, yeah. you know, was sort of making her ill. And so anyway, so mm. it can come in the form of, you know, um, uh, it, it, it's insidious. Mm-hmm. because it, it's not overt so it's interactions with people yeah. where um, your perceptions are being called into question and I I can see it from like five miles away at this point so mm-hmm. it it's really beneficial to learn all the terminology and to educate yourself about all of it yeah. but it's um, that's an example of something yeah. that can be traumatic if yeah. you don't have the terminology for it yeah. if you don't know um, that you're that you're being mistreated, mm-hmm. you sense something, mm-hmm. um, but you can't quite articulate it. Yeah. Um, that's what, uh, again, that's what I see a lot of yeah. um, in practice. Um, or in some cases, the mind, in order to protect itself, right, uh, blocks out certain uh, the thoughts and memories, right, yeah. from a traumatic experience. So in some cases, the person quite literally cannot recall. Uh, those those painful memories because the mind has uh, suppressed it right yeah. um, and so I, that that also complicates the uh, the process of identifying and coming to terms with the trauma. So we we call that now dissociative amnesia rather mm-hmm. than repressed memories. Right. Yeah. At yeah. one time, repressed memories were really a uh, very popular topic yeah. and yeah. and a lot there were like court cases based on repressed or suppressed memories yeah. and uh it became very controversial because a lot of people got into a lot of trouble that mm. maybe uh anyway it's it's a complicated history so yeah. if you want to google the term dissociative amnesia or suppressed memories you can read all about it but yeah. dissociative amnesia is 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 just that it's like a dissociating from an experience yeah. and uh quote unquote forgetting about it yeah but you're not you don't really forget about it your body protects itself against harmful situations that yeah. it deems as harmful yeah you know? which which again as i said makes makes it even more difficult right that uh, for people to uh, identify that they've been the victim of a trauma and work to process it so if you can't remember it it's it's hard to it's hard to start there. Well, it's it's hard to identify and to uh, a trauma that you've experienced and work to you know process it, manage it, understand it if you can't recall that it happened, right? And I was so, trying. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, I was just going to say another reason why therapy is so important, right? Because there are a variety of psycho 
therapeutic techniques that can help people to recall painful memories from their subconscious mind, right? Uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, but it's it's interesting how the mind works, right? Uh, the, as you said, the mind, the body, and they, they function as one to protect us. And sometimes um, the, the way in which the mind protects us is by, uh, uh, you know, suppressing memories that were painful and traumatic, right? I asked uh, my counselor today, yeah. um, he's, uh, not necessarily a counselor. He's more of a coach type yeah. person. We call it a consultation at this point because um, mm -hmm. it's like an hour and a half long of us talking about mm -hmm. various um, various aspects of, of mm -hmm. trauma and yeah. uh, narcissism. And anyway, so I asked him today, um, I said, well, you know, when you say dissociate, what do you mean? And I was like, I mean, obviously I know what disassociate means, but what does it mean? for you. And he said, you know, it's kind of hard to describe, but the best way that I can describe it is to say that it's foggy, but that's not even an accurate description of what that feels like yeah. to be in a dissociative state. You know, you mm. can be in a dissociative fugue mm. where you don't even recall what it is that you're doing. Your yeah. body is moving and you're engaging in activities, yeah. but you don't actually have yeah. a lot of, um, control over it necessarily yeah. there was a, a, a episode of breaking bad uh, i think season two right where walt was so it season funny. was it the end of season one or early season two where where walt um <laughs> he well he 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 lied and said that he experienced a dissociative fugue yeah. right to explain yeah. to his wife skylar why he had disappeared for a day or two yeah. right when and he then, was out in the desert making yeah meth. correct yeah he was out in the desert making meth with jesse was pinkman that, his business partner was that what he was doing yeah yeah, and then and then uh, uh, he had to find a way to explain to Skyler, his wife, why he had disappeared for two days, yeah. and he uh, pretended he walked into. I think he took off his pants and or he wow. took off his clothes and went into a grocery store, mm -hmm. and I think they had him um, FD twelve involuntarily committed, and he claimed to not know where he was or you know how he got there and. He was diagnosed with a dissociative. They, they explained that he had experienced a fugue state, right? Yeah. A dissociative fugue, um, and then he, you know, that that became the excuse, right? And he he played along with it, and um, you know, that was his way of covering for himself, which um, is incredibly started. pathological, right? To lie yeah. about a dissociative state, but well, uh, that's another story. But talk um, about narcissism. Yeah, uh, Walter is a very interesting character, yeah. and. How would you diagnose him? It's so interesting. Oh, man. Um, that's a good question. You're putting me on the spot. Walter White. Uh, yeah, I think perhaps narcissistic personality disorder. I mean, he was someone who I think suffered a very severe trauma uh, <laughs> uh, in college or after college by uh, allowing uh, Elliot and Gretchen to buy out his stake of Gray Matter, yeah. which or the company that he started that wound up becoming Gray Matter. And wasn't right? he with Gretchen? In yeah, the him and Gretchen were dating, and he came up with the name Gray Matter. He yeah, came up yeah. with the name of the company, and I think he was largely the, the, the brains behind it. They were very smart, but I think yeah. they both considered him to be the smartest one of the three, yeah. and he wound up selling his stake to them before... Uh, 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 before he made a whole bunch of money. Well, he wound up selling his stake for some small amount of money, and I don't quite recall why he chose to do that. I think it's because he wanted to go in another direction, 
or he, you know, got married and had kids or something, or I, I can't quite recall, but he, he sold his stake for a very small amount of money. And then they wound up turning it into a multi-million dollar company. I feel like it was a betrayal, right? So that was a little betrayal trauma that he experienced. It may have been. I can't quite recall if like he chose to be bought out or if they kind of pushed him out. Yeah. Um, uh, but in any event, he always regretted that and had a lot of anger towards them for uh, for what he thought was a betrayal, right? He felt like... I think it's narcissism. It's like a narcissistic injury. Yeah. Well, yeah. He, he initially was a victim in, in that he, I think, was a really honest, caring person. And you see this in the first couple of seasons. He is a good guy. There are elements of him that make him a really good person. He loves his family. He wants to try to do the right thing. But I think he harbored this sense of betrayal um, toward Elliot and Gretchen that he never quite processed. And uh, it led him to, it led him to, and then he got cancer, right? So he felt like life had dealt him so many bad hands that he didn't deserve. And because he was so injured or traumatized psychologically and emotionally from all of these bad hands that he was dealt, at least in his mind, it then compelled him to go on to do bad things right. in the name of, well, I'm a victim. I got screwed over, so I'm going to take something back. And he lied to himself by, initially by saying, I'm doing this for my family. I want them to have money uh, after I'm gone, so they're taken care of. But in the very last episode of Breaking Bad, and I don't want to give any spoilers here, but he basically acknowledges to Skyler that he didn't do it for that reason. He did it because he became a criminal because he enjoyed it. He was good yeah, at it. Because he's like antisocial. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 No, so I, very, very interesting. People don't realize that Breaking Bad is a, is a really interesting case study in mental illness. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, in many ways. For, for a number of different characters, not just Walt, but Walt is the is the protagonist and I think the most interesting character. There are in the a show. lot of people that, that, might experience a similar trauma to what Walter experienced yeah. and not do what he did in the name of his family. Yeah. You're right. If yeah. you notice the the caring that he has for them revolves yeah. around him. Yeah. And and his, you know, it it, yeah. it, it is interesting. So anyway. Yeah. But um, um, but yes, that that that, that that episode, I think late season one, early season two, in which he claimed to have a dissociative experience, a dissociative fugue, um, was was really interesting, and it can, can give uh, uh, people a better sense or better idea of what happens when someone is experiencing a fugue state. Yeah, right? just watch that episode. It's very watch the whole show. By the way, it's one of the greatest shows yeah, of all time. But that's a time. that's another that's another uh, podcast <laughs> episode for another so day. Good. Yeah. Um, uh, so I guess uh, one, one other question I wanted to pose uh, for you, Alex, is uh, what are some of the signs and symptoms of a trauma? We talked about how uh, oftentimes people uh, or a lot of times people don't understand that they've experienced a trauma um, and they are not able to draw a link between the trauma and their behavioral dysfunction or their struggles with their mental health. So for someone who's perhaps not in therapy, who's thinking about engaging in the therapeutic process, who thinks they uh, may have experienced a, a trauma that is impacting their their uh, their mental health in the present day. What are some of the signs and symptoms they can kind of look for? Um, and what are some of, kind of the some of the classic signs and symptoms yeah. of, of trauma? You mentioned you mentioned yeah. hypervigilance. Right, right. It's complicated though. Yeah. Um, I, people don't generally come in and say, I have, I have trauma. They come in and they say, yeah. I have anxiety. Yeah. Or I am experiencing depressive 
<clears throat> depression. Well, I think that I think let me just start just to interject. That's kind of what mm-hmm. I mean, right? When people start therapy, they don't know they don't use the word trauma. They either don't know that they've experienced a trauma or they don't know, or they feel like they've been through a difficult experience, but they don't know how to describe it and they don't understand it, but they know that something is wrong. And maybe, so when I ask for what are some of the, when I ask what are some of the signs and symptoms of trauma, it could be things such as anxiety. It could be depression. It could be uh, a lack of self-worth, right? I mean, there there, there are many different signs and symptoms of trauma, but I I guess I'm trying to, give our listeners just kind of a, a crash course uh, in, in, in signs and symptoms of trauma. you yourself subjugating yourself mm. or allowing yourself to be subjugated in relationships and um, people pleasing and um, negating yourself to, you know, to make a relationship work that is, you know, objectively not, actually meeting your needs you might have a trauma um so that that's the population that i work with these days uh if we're talking about a more classic uh kind of trauma um you know like um community violence uh shooting shootings mass shooting um hypervigilance flashbacks Mm-hmm. Um, flashbacks are very interesting because they're fragments of memories yeah. oftentimes, um, or it could be, I'll, I'll just describe it that way, where you can experience the sensations uh, in your body that you had experienced at the time. Yeah. I worked with a client that was um, from Lebanon and had experienced a lot of uh, bombs, a lot yeah. of bombing being present in you know a war zone and um would be driving in dc um in their car and mm. uh would be feeling as though mm. bombs were going off mm. and and hearing the 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 impact and feeling the impact of bombs mm-hmm. and there are no bombs um thankfully you know knock on wood yeah. uh going off on a regular basis in dc uh, let's hope that's not the next thing. Yeah. Um, so although there was one recently on H street, I think it was like the 4th of July. Somebody was putting pipe bombs around anyway. Really? Um, I, didn't, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And there was, yeah. Uh, but whatever, you know, big surprise. Um, so that, that's an example of, mm. of a symptom that you can, um, I'll be very vague with this description, but someone um, that in my life uh, experienced a trauma and let's say a year and a half after they experienced that, they mm-hmm. were having, um, they felt like they were in the place where the trauma had occurred. Mm-hmm. They were they were in a forest. Mm-hmm. They were feeling, you know, like the presence of the forest for lack of a better way to describe it. Yeah. And I was like, you, my friend, are experiencing a flashback. Um, So flashbacks, fragments of memories. um, I'll I'll have that periodically. I'll have little fragmented things. I actually laughed at myself recently because in the midst of having anxiety, I had this memory and I was like, that is unbelievably random and so old. It's mm-hmm. like when I was 12 years old, yeah. unbelievably uh, not useful yeah. to me in my, in my, at this age. Um, but it was interesting. Um, so 
Um, okay, so hyper. Okay, so flashbacks, um, hypervigilance. So what is hypervigilance? You know, if you're vigilant, um, you're on guard, mm-hmm. and um, you you're basically um, tensed for or um, waiting for the the next shoe to drop. You know, you're you're at attention. And if mm-hmm. you're hypervigilant, your mm-hmm. your body can't relax. Yeah. I've experienced that. I used to experience that where I just it, by the end of the day, I was just exhausted and I didn't know that that's what I was experiencing, but I was yeah. absolutely exhausted because I was clenched just waiting for the next thing to happen without even knowing that that's what was going on. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't relax. People will find um, that if they have begun healing, if they find themselves in a circumstance where they recognize that they're no longer um, under threat, they get absolutely exhausted. They're so tired because their nervous system is telling them, hey, you can actually relax now. Yeah. And so their bodies go through this um, healing yeah. um, to allow them to just, um, I don't know, catch up on sleep. I don't know. Okay, so why I'm going to take a little break from talking about trauma and talk about how that is bad for you, right? Mm-hmm. We talk, we've talked about uh, holistic mental health, and this is part of that. Mm-hmm. Being hypervigilant, what does it mean to have a, um, a trauma response or to mm-hmm. be in fight or flight? Mm-hmm. It's basically neuropinephrine being dumped into your system, right? Mm-hmm. And so that you know increases your heart rate makes you shake uh i remember being in a conversation and i uh i had the knowledge at that point of what was going on in my body and i remember Mm -hmm. shaking uh when you know things got to a certain point in the conversation and i was like wow this is so interesting and uh like i can chart it out you know i'm having Mm -hmm. this reaction to Mm -hmm. this conversation this circumstance and uh, and then and then began to learn more about it and you know exposure to stress norepinephrine mm-hmm. um, adrenaline um, those those sorts of hormones um, can be really detrimental to your body over an extended period of time your organs can mm-hmm. start shutting down yeah um, if you are in that state for an extended period of time yeah. So when we say stress is harmful, you know, a lot of um, general practitioners talk about stress being mm-hmm. harmful and um, it, it, it is unbelievably harmful to yeah. your body to be hypervigilant for an extended period of yeah. time. Because your brain overproduces the yeah. stress hormone cortisol, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. which has all kinds of adverse impacts on the mind and the yeah. body, right? Cardiovascular, yeah. uh, blood sugar regulation, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's really harmful. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so hypervigilance, um, flashbacks, um, intrusive thoughts for mm-hmm. sure. Um, how about difficulty with emotional, uh, regulation? Sure. Sure. Also yeah. with, um, um, difficulty managing relationships, well, interpersonal relationships. Right. Yeah. So yeah. angry outbursts are, are common. Yeah. Um, because you're defending against something, but you don't necessarily know what you're defending against. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the smallest thing could set you off. Yeah. Um, I had a client who was very, very angry all the time, and I didn't, I didn't blame him after hearing his history. It was yeah. really, um, 
really rough. Um, so difficulty in relationships. Well, there's a difficulty connecting difficulty, you know, if you're dissociating or if you're hypervigilant or if you're so, you know, Mm -hmm. caught up in uh, an internal experience. Um, yeah, it's difficult to connect. Yeah. 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 Would you, would you say that, uh, uh, you know, we, we've talked a, a lot between between us about uh, attachment theory and the, important, the importance of understanding uh, attachment theory and how uh, the uh, attachment that uh, an infant develops to their primary caregiver in the first year of life goes a long way towards impacting um, their mental health, shaping their mental health and their ability to uh, engage in healthy relationships um, as they get older. Uh, uh, so would you say that um, um, uh, poor attachments, disorganized attachments are, are forms of trauma uh, that occur within the first year of life? I know we talk to our clients a lot about attachment theory. It's a, a, yeah, it's a hot topic. Yeah. Um, the, well, I have a lot to say, but what, what do you think? Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. I do think it's, it's, it's a form of trauma, right? I mean, the... The the infant as someone who studied attachment theory, I think it's it's pretty clear that you know when a, as a you know as as an infant when your when your needs are not being met right or on the other side of it if you're being smothered by your primary caregiver and you're not given an opportunity to kind of explore right as infants do um, uh, that sort of treatment uh, I think is tantamount to uh, trauma on an infant's mind right so reactive attachment disorder is something that i studied many years ago when i was working with kids um i yeah well and the the reason i bring this up is 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 also because we talked about how uh, many of our clients um feel like they may have suffered a trauma or they know that something is wrong but they can't trace it back to a, a specific distressful experience as we, we define trauma earlier as a, as a, a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. Um, but for some people, the trauma occurred during their first year of life, right? They may have had a neglectful uh, a primary caretaker who did not meet their needs, right? And so here they are 20, 30 years later or more in therapy trying to determine why they struggle to establish and develop and maintain healthy relationships with people right um and you know in therapy which is a self-reflective process we search right kind of the past sometimes to determine uh, the root of a particular struggle and if they can't trace right their struggle back to a particular uh, traumatic incident that they can remember it's sometimes because the trauma itself occurred when they were kids when they were infants well, right. I, I would venture to guess that if you're experiencing trauma as an infant in the hands of your caregiver, that it would probably continue into toddlerhood and um, adolescence um, because, uh, yeah, I, I could see yeah. that. When... Yeah, and, and I think that's the case. But even even <clears throat> then, people have difficulty, uh, uh, you know, when I, when I do kind of, um, when I kind of um, work with clients to do, to, to kind of... Um, construct historical narratives of yeah. their childhood. A lot of them, well, I don't say a lot, but a, a, sometimes some of them um, have difficulty um, remembering uh, 
um, specific um, relationships or interactions uh, that they had when, you know, at eight, nine, 10 years old, right? Yeah. I wouldn't expect, of course, we don't remember what we were experiencing or feeling as infants, but what we experience as, inf as infants certainly impacts us in a variety of ways, psychologically and emotionally and behaviorally, but we don't necessarily even remember uh, uh, experiences, interactions at seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, especially when you get to a certain age, right? Yeah. So um, even if the, the abuse or the neglect did continue into, you know, uh, their you know, at 10 years old, 11 years old, they still may not remember it. Yeah. So we right? call that developmental trauma. Yeah. And, 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 and I hear you, you know, using the terms yeah. uh, attachment and disorganized attachment and there's uh, avoidant attachment. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a really popular book and I think, yeah. uh, I think I put it on our website actually, uh, called attached. Um, yeah, it's like, it's in the recommended uh, reading section. And it is, uh, I wouldn't say it has a whole lot of evidence-based research to support some of the shit that's in there, yeah. but it, it is popular and it's popular for a reason yeah. because there are a lot of people walking around with a lot of attachment disorders yeah. that really negatively impact their relationships. And yeah. so then you're kind of um, wondering, well, where do those attachment disorders come from yeah. or attachment styles come from and yeah. pausing the idea that it could be uh, formed in infancy I'd yeah. say, yeah, yeah. There, there are a lot of really shitty parents out there. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, unbelievably shitty parents. Yeah, um, who have their own traumas, and boy, we could get into uh, epigenetics if we wanted to, but I don't think we'll go down that road. But that, yeah. that's the idea of uh, you know, like intergenerational trauma, inherited trauma. Yeah. Um, that's that's a very interesting topic. Yeah. Um, and when I say interesting. Yeah, and the and these are these are uh, forms of, of trauma that people often uh, cannot remember because they they occurred very early on yeah. in their lives. Um, but as as you pointed out, it it, it likely uh, continued even into their pre adolescent and adolescent years. But even then, they have difficulty remembering the details of yeah. what happened. Yeah, and and the thing is, is if you come from a family system that's abusive, that's yeah. where the complex trauma is because it it's. I think I, I have seen some adults that uh, truly didn't understand that they were um, the identified patient and it was a system yeah. that was fucked up. It wasn't them. Yeah. They were a symptom or yeah. their behaviors or their feelings were a symptom of the really dysfunctional family system. Well, it's, it's, it's difficult for people who come from abusive uh, family systems and communities to even know that they're being abused and that they've yeah. even suffered a trauma because, so because they normalize it, right? If all you've ever known is abuse and neglect up until the point where you're 15 years old, you don't know that you're being abused because it's normal. Well, that's, uh, that's, it seems normal. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, perpetrators, will generally not um, own up to their behaviors yeah. and come to you and say, you know what, I just wanted to be very frank and I yeah. want to apologize for uh, the things that I've done. They don't do that generally. And yeah. so what happens is a, a child in a system that's dysfunctional where yeah. there's, you know, they're, they're perceiving things in their environment yeah. that are not okay, yeah. but they're looking around the environment kind of trying to get a cue from an adult yeah trying to validate their experience mm -hmm. an adult's not gonna 
validate their experience. So what happens is the kid will blame themselves yeah. and they, they develop this, uh, this feeling of this fatal flaw, right? Yeah. So, um, the feeling that there's something wrong with them yeah. and they carry it with them. Right. And find themselves in situations where they are subjugated over and over again. And that's codependency yeah. in, in a nutshell. Um, and so my goal as a therapist is to assist people in uh, not getting into systems where they are subjugated any longer and mm. to detach from systems that are harmful to them and breaking out of systems in yeah. which they're subjugated and abused in which um, they feel there's something wrong with them i yeah. so one intervention that i recommend with people is okay when you start to feel shame or you feel like there's something wrong with you i want to do sort of a paradoxical thing which yeah. is concretize what you think is wrong with you yeah. because you're not going to be able to we're talking a lot about you know uh, trauma uh, occurring to people at an early age we talked about attachment theory um and the you know the extent to which trauma um, that occurs within an infant's first year of life or throughout their childhood eventually has a significant adverse impact on their mental health and their uh, ability to function uh, throughout their lives. Uh, and of course, there are the four different, by the way, the four, if we mentioned a couple of different attachment styles, there's four, right? Just so our listeners are aware, avoidant, uh, anxious, disorganized, and of course, secure, which is the healthy attachment. But I, maybe we can do another uh, uh, podcast episode just on attachment theory alone. We certainly could. But um, uh, what I was going to uh, 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 ask you is, um, and I know you've worked with with clients who still, as adults, um, uh, function or live within um, toxic systems, right? And may not realize it, right? We've been talking a lot about trauma that occurs early on in life, but even as adults, you know, uh, we uh, sometimes are operate within or live within to toxic or um, uh, uh, abusive systems that we're not even aware of. You can right? be in toxic work environments. Toxic work environments. Toxic friendships. Toxic friendships. Toxic romantic relationships. Maybe, maybe your involvement with the church has caused oh, you to question everything yeah. about yourself. Um, in a uh, or to perceive your maybe it's conditioned you to perceive yourself through a very very negative lens, right? So, and I'm not saying that all churches or religion in general is inherently toxic or causes uh, someone to uh, 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 to be mentally unwell, but there are certainly plenty of examples of that occurring, right? It is a real problem, and so if someone has been raised in the church. Um, uh, or raised within a religious family, and now they're 25 years old, and their mental health is poor, um, it's largely because, at least with the clients I've worked with over the years, because of the, uh, uh, the ways in which they were conditioned to think about themselves and the world uh, due to the, the, the religious ideology and, uh, ideology and doctrine that they were fed, right? So in order to uh, start healing, right, and, and developing kind of your own understanding of, of uh, how you should perceive the world, it's necessary to break out of that, that toxic system that you exist within. Yeah. Um, whether Again, whether it's religious, whether it's political, whether it's family, whether it's relationship, whether it's your job, um, it is necessary to, I, I think reflect on what is causing you to be mentally unwell. And in many cases, it's not just people's past, 
but they're present environments. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that is incredibly difficult for some people to acknowledge. And the reason why their mental health doesn't improve is because they continue to exist within systems that damage their mental health. And they first have to identify that the system itself is causing them trauma before well, they can even begin to think about breaking out of it. Again, um, you know, people are conditioned to believe that they are the problem yeah. because people that are perpetrators yeah. of these things, predators, yeah. whatever you want to call them, are not going to take uh, responsibility for the damage they've and, caused. And they're yeah. not going to validate yeah. it. So people have to have, um, the victim is often conditioned to believe that they are the problem that yeah. they've caused their own trauma. When in fact it's the, the environment, right? People within yeah. the environment and people within the environment. So you're not, you're not going to get validation. So you yeah. have to, um, develop a really strong sense of self. How do you do that? Um, so, I, I believe, and, and there's some uh, research to support this, mm-hmm. um, it, that our bodies are actually um, telling us uh, what to believe and not to believe. And we have to trust ourselves a, a lot more than we generally do. I tell clients, um, when you find yourself in distress in a situation, ask yourself, who is benefiting from me not trusting myself? Yeah. Um, and they're like, well, certainly isn't me. I was like, no, Th- think about who's benefiting. How is someone benefiting from you not having confidence? And in and just think about that for a second. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, there's a, a we could talk about the patriarchy. I mean, that that's a, a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but conditioning. Mm-hmm. conditioned to believe that you're the problem. If someone is has toxic traits, if someone has, let's say, an, um, an alcohol-related disorder mm-hmm. and it maybe has some cluster B personality disorder traits and, um, and, and, and they are... Uh, and you're somehow subjugated to them, you're their child, mm-hmm. for instance. Um that person is so filled with disorder Mm -hmm. they can't come to you and apologize to you and own Mm. up to their own behaviors that would mean that they would have to face their own pathology their own problems and they would have to heal and some people um, can't and no one's going to do it for them so unfortunately there are a lot of people that are products of these environments or find themselves in these situations later on in life um because um they've been conditioned to believe that they're the problem Mm -hmm. um that's that fatal flaw thing i was talking about yeah and so again that the biggest intervention concretize it you feel like you're the problem okay so how are you the problem? Let, let's not, uh, I'm not going to talk you out of it. Let's dive into it. Let's really figure out why you're the problem. And they can't. If you try to do that, it just, it, the art, it falls apart. But it's this it, major gaslighting that people do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, I think that's largely how our business relationship has worked so well because you've beaten me down over the years and conditioned me me to believe that I'm the problem so that you have all the control. And so I have nothing left and I just do your bidding at this point. 
Yeah, it really yeah. works. Yeah, it did works very it well. Works for me. Bravo, splendid. <laughs> I mean, you do a good job. <laughs> So. No, but I um, I think we covered some really important ground uh, tonight, and I think it's clear that this uh, topic, the topic of trauma, is uh, requires much more than one podcast episode. There's it so much more to discuss and to cover. The surface, I yeah, yeah. wow. But we are going to have to end it, yeah. um, unfortunately. But I think this is a good start. I think it's a good start, and and hopefully our listeners benefited. Uh, from this podcast episode and learned a little bit more about trauma. But we promise to uh, uh, follow up this episode with additional uh, episodes about trauma. Again, there's still so much ground to cover and so much to discuss. I really want to more clearly define it and also mm. talk about um, the recovery process. And, yeah. you know, you may not be able to get rid of it entirely, but you yeah. most certainly can heal it, integrate it. it it's it feels what? complex. It's it. I, I have a, a nice way of breaking. Did, it down. did did you agree with what I said very early on in the episode that trauma, much like grief and loss, is not something you ever get over, but rather something that becomes a part of you? I think you can heal it. Yeah. I think you can. Um, well, you can certainly heal from both, but they're always a part of you. You can integrate it. No. Yeah. And are they always a part? Yes, they're always a part of you. I I will say though, you know that um but when i say they're always a part of you i don't mean that it's something that will necessarily plague you forever it's a part of you you can't undo the loss or the, just like you can't undo trauma but you can learn how to make to compartmentalize it properly and you can also as you alluded to earlier maybe make it work for you uh i don't think compartmentalization i i personally believe that uh, integration well, I, I, I don't believe in compartmentalization solely, as it's not a solution. Compart, compartmental, emotional compartmentalization, psychological compartmentalization is part of a larger process or a multi-pronged approach for managing trauma, just like grief and loss, right? Grief and loss, for example, never goes away. It's, it, it becomes a part of you. You're never going to not miss your mom who passed away years ago but you learn how to live with it. And part of that is integrating the pain and using it maybe in some ways uh, to inspire you or to motivate you, right? A lot of good uh, can come from uh, from pain, right? From difficult circumstances, well, including trauma. And you know loss. what? Uh, we don't have a choice mm. uh, in our lives. We experience so much pain mm. that if you don't integrate it and accept it, um, then you're going to have a really shitty life. So it, yeah, which occurs, to... which occurs a lot. Yeah. Right. Um, mm, yeah, there's a lot to say, but I think in therapy, we, we, we work with our clients to help them to better understand how to integrate. So what I say, and this is the last thing I'll say, mm -hmm. what I, what I say in the beginning of talking about trauma, mm -hmm. you know, um, is that much like you were saying, um, you know, compartmentalizing is a way of, sort of learning to manage, I say, if you kind of mm. visualize like a cabinet um, mm -hmm. and you can visualize a bunch of little bottles in that cabinet or yeah. containers in that cabinet and in each container you have those experiences, yeah. you know, yeah. of trauma and it's entirely up to you what you do with that cabinet. So you go into yeah. the cabinet, you take a container down and you are the person that is in charge of unstopping it 
um, much like an IV drip, you you control the flow, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not up to me as the therapist at all mm -hmm. to do that. It yeah. is 100% yours and it's there and you don't have to open every container at one time. You can be very um, strategic in how you do it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would agree with you yeah. um, to a degree. Well, you don't always ever agree with everything I have to I say, can't. but but we'll uh, we'll certainly continue this discussion in the next podcast episode. But uh, great job tonight, thank you, Alex. Yeah. And that concludes another episode of the of the Compass Road Podcast. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah.